There is no God, I admitted finally, and with that the lights went out. And in that darkness, my community said, let there be light. And there was, and it was beyond good. It was the community that helped me find my way in the dark, that helped me to embrace the void. void quite calming actually it's like this time the xanax took me your sense of self is crumbling and it's taking the void down with it it's like i'm in a black void trying to reach the news story this concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic what is real how do you define real if you're talking about what you can feel what you can smell you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 109 of Embrace the Void, where we are trying our best to keep our hopes under control with both hands. I am your host, Aaron, and my guest this week joins me to discuss the various topics surrounding movement atheism. Um, I, I went into this conversation, I'll be honest, feeling under the void uh, and came out feeling a little bit more embraced. So uh, I hope you experienced that as well. Yeah, let's make with the good stuff. My guest this week is Stephanie Zvan, co-host of Minnesota Atheist's radio show and podcast, a regular contributor at The Orbit, and a board member of Secular Woman and Minnesota Atheists. Stephanie, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, everyone. Thank Actually, you so what do you all consider yourselves within the void? Uh, voidlings is a, voidlings. the common... Hello, voidlings. Oh, you're How so nice, nice to not you, be able to see you. You prefer our chosen name. That's so nice. I appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for coming on. You've been much requested for the show. Um, and while we we don't, we don't always actively present as a atheist or secular show, I do believe that we are strongly one in spirit. So I like whenever we have folks on from the community to talk about the voidy side of uh, movement secularism. Um, the deep darkness. There's a lot. Ooh. There's a lot to cover. It, I've discovered, um, as I've explained, as I explained to you before the show, and for folks who aren't familiar, I'm a lifetime, you know, atheist um, skeptic at heart, raised by uh, hippies of that kind of variety. Uh, but I wasn't until I got into podcasting two years ago aware of all of the movement atheism and secularism and all of the infighting and, and conflicts and debates about um, new atheism and stuff that have uh, come along. So like, um, I really appreciate having folks come on who can fill in some of the gaps of my understanding on these kind of things. Um, I have all the dirt. I'm happy to help. Not all of it, just a lot of it. Uh, Let's some dirt. Um, No, so do you want to start maybe by giving folks a little bit of background on how you got into this movement um, and what about it is important to you? Sure. I have, um, as I look back, I was raised atheist. My parents actually both had some very bad experiences with religion growing up and decided that they would raise their kids without religion and let us choose when we were old enough to, to do that in an educated way. Uh, and as far as I know, so far, none of us have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
at some point oh, thereby proving that you live you live you you follow the religion that your fa- your family practiced right like everyone else no well um, they, my parents were much more even culturally christian than i am um mm-hmm. my mom at least uh is she would consider herself not religious but she's still a believer in something mm-hmm. it's just they never they never did anything to suggest to us kids that this was the way that we should, um, the way we should think that we should get involved in religious communities, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that I had identified as an atheist uh, until much more recently. Um, but at some point I came across a folder of things that I had taped up in my locker in high school. And there were, um, a number of cartoons that were very overtly atheist. So apparently I was hmm. wrong about that. My, was there something in particular that like brought it into relief for you as a part of your identity rather than something that was apparently there, but you weren't sort of thinking too hard about it? Um, really it was discovering kind of the science blogosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and running into an awful lot of people who were having to deal with creationists and creationists in schools. And uh, this was just such a, a weird, weird thought to me. Um, I'm, I'm Minnesotan, so, you know, mm-hmm. we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about politics except that we actually do um but but that's that's kind of the the accepted norm um and you know so the idea that people would be and i'm you know not completely naive about this i was incensed by the moral majority growing up Mm -hmm. um but Just the idea that people had to really organize and plan to counteract that in our schools Mm -hmm. um, was one of those things that made it very salient. That and um, probably all of getting into just how religious all of the anti-abortion rhetoric was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that... um... For, for folks who weren't sort of as as motivated necessarily by the the maybe the moral side there there's a lot of folks who it seems like um were were brought in because of their attachment to science and sort of the love of knowledge on that side of things they didn't want to fight the culture wars and this is it seems like it's been a little bit of a divide within the community is the people who were sucked in sort of primarily by culture war versus by and maybe those two things overlap um, yeah, and ways. you know, I say I came in through the the science blogosphere, but mm-hmm. um, really, it was the fact that this was a political fight that that mm-hmm. hooked me. I'm kind of a a geek along those lines. You like you like politics, so you're having a lot of fun right now, I imagine. <laughs> I. Uh, Mm, that might not be the word I would not the choose. right word i know i feel like we're all just like going through a shared trauma and we're all just like whistling past the gallows on a daily basis with the politics oh, stuff we so are this will be um written about you know presuming that things like books survive uh, <laughs> this will be written about in the future in the way that we should probably start writing books about gen x and um, believing that we were all going to die in a nuclear holocaust and there just wasn't anything we could do about it. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree that it's shaping it's shaping the consciousness in really weird ways. Um, so you mentioned the science blogosphere. Does this tie in with the orbit? Maybe you want to tell folks a little bit about uh, what that is and um, what you do there. Sure. Uh, so at some point, science blogs, which was the big science network for a while, decided that it wanted to get more sciencey and perhaps less overtly political and less overtly atheist. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it ever really did that, um, but it prompted Ed <laughs> Brayton. Impossible in the modern day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a goal. It yeah. was definitely a goal. Um, it prompted Ed Brayton of Dispatches from the Culture Wars who is not actually a science person, but is very deeply involved uh, in the fight against creationism in the schools and things like that, mm-hmm. to um, start free thought blogs with PZ Myers and a, a few other bloggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said they were looking for new bloggers. And I had been blogging for about four years at that point. Mm-hmm. I started off doing it for my writing, which was, you know, the advice at the time was get out there. Don't be too, um, don't be too controversial. You know, just make your name known. And Uh, things have changed. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was terrible advice looking back, but that was how I tried. And then I realized I couldn't write anything until I was actually writing about the things I cared about. Um, and you started so stirring shit time, to get fans like everybody else. <laughs> by that time, um, I had a little bit of an established following, and I uh, sent a note to Ed Brayton and said I'd like to be considered. And that was in the very early days of Free Thought Blogs, and he was like, sure. Hmm. So cool. I joined what was soon to become the largest atheist blog network out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and is, is blogging, do you feel like it's still alive and well at this particular point? Do you feel like the, the stories of its demise are overestimated? I think that it has, um, that two things have happened. It's done a certain amount of naturally trimming itself back, like, Mm-hmm. most trends in communication do at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think Facebook killed it. Mm. I don't think it's really dead, but um, Facebook and the way that it shares links and the way that it tries to determine what people want to see without letting those people just do that for themselves uh, mm-hmm. was, I think, a very bad thing for um blogs that were not already huge mm-hmm. that it sort of cut off any new growth right i imagine that podcasting is in that head in that direction too that there's going to be a, a culling at some point here soon um it just seems like there's there's always these there's been a lot of these new growths of new media that then sort of everybody gets involved with and then there's a kind of peak and then there's a natural sort of uh, regression to the mean. Yeah. As people, I think, figure out what works in a medium and what doesn't and what mediums play to their strength, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, people either decide that that medium is good for them and 
stick with it and help develop it as a medium or they try Mm -hmm. something new. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, So I want to talk to you primarily about secularism and atheism. And uh, I was thinking about it this way. And I'm curious if you could tell me what you think, like if you were going to give a state of the union for secularism at this particular moment, right? Would you, what would be the positive improvements that you would emphasize? What would be the things that you feel like we're having issues with? And do you feel like, what would the tone of that, state of the union be at this point would it be one of like cautious optimism or one of frustrated pessimism where are you feeling at this in all of this um right now i'm feeling mostly cautious optimism um, but it's a cautious optimism that can be really difficult to explain to people who have um been around the movement in the last decade or decade and a half when it spent a lot of time being celebrity driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean, not just uh, celebrities who came out as atheists, although that, that we have certainly embraced several of those, but, but an atheism that tries to spread itself um, by making its mouthpieces and that's really more dehumanizing than i mean um Mm -hmm. but the people who who think about atheism the people who have experiences that that call to other people and can talk about those uh that kind of thing as making them into celebrities as a way to spread atheism yeah, it's, it seems like this was the situation with the Four Horsemen, and that like it did bring in a lot of people, one might argue, but it also sort of yokes the movement to sort of the vagaries of those particular individuals, which has been a pretty mixed bag, it seems like. Yeah, and I, I mean, the problem is that we are not supposed to be a movement that's about celebrity. You mm-hmm. know, we we are not atheists because we think we're bigger than God. Or what was it that John Lennon said? Bigger than Jesus. Oh, bigger than Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's not what we in our atheism or our secular humanism or however uh, people want to identify is supposed to be about. Um, it's supposed to be about coming to an understanding of a world that is not overseen by a deity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are really good at celebrity are not necessarily the same people who are really good at coming to an Mm. understanding of that world. So do you feel Um, like it should be a more decentralized movement where it's more about community organizing? Um, It, I think it should. And I think it's moving that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we have several national organizations that serve important purposes uh, the secular coalition as um, our lobbying arm, um, I think, is a, a really useful organization. Just got a bunch of people in D.C. this week uh, mm-hmm. to to meet with uh, to meet with lawmakers. It's work to build a free thought caucus. All sorts of of really good things like that. We have several uh, organizations with lawyers that fight back. Mm-hmm. Um, for church-state separation, we have groups like the uh, Secular Student Alliance that focuses on a particular demographic of people who um, 
are very often coming into non-belief as a new thing and making adjustments and are living in, let's face it, colleges and high schools are a completely different world Mm -hmm. than we live in as adults. And as an adult, I'm much happier here. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that's an important constituency to to deal with. We have the Secular Therapy Project um, from Recovering from Religion, where you know, people can get help for their mental health issues and just their even emotional distress from people who aren't going to tell them that it's their own fault because they've abandoned Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Foundation Beyond Belief. We have a lot of really good things going on at the national level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if we are going to grow and do anything with that growth, a lot of that has to happen at the local level Um, and not just because that's where people are, but that's also where a lot of the issues are. Um, If we want to be a political force, we can't ignore state legislatures. If Mm -hmm. um, we shouldn't be ignoring school boards. Um, And what do you think are the main issues that we should be focusing on at this point? Where should our energy be, um, be, be centered? I am not great at focusing on okay. one particular issue. <laughs> um, I think there are a lot of things that have traditionally been um, the focus of groups on a local level that, that are really good things. Um, dealing with uh, LGBTQ pr- protections and getting those passed. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of atheist and humanist groups were involved in that fight when it was a state-by-state fight. Um and the national groups did quite a bit to help uh, when it moved to the national level. But there's still things that need to be done there, like basic job protections in several states. Um, so, so this raises an interesting question for me. Um, and it's one that, again, seems to be a conflict within the community. What, what it seems like you're describing, and I'm totally on board, I'll be clear, um, is a secular community that spends a lot of its energy on sort of leftist um, social policy, which I do think is is what, what should be happening. But um, I, my understanding is there's a contingent that feels like, you know, we should be focused on just secular and atheism or that like um, larger social justice or ethical questions either um, are if not unrelated, are sort of overtaking the main issues and turning this into a sort of social justice um, fixated movement. How would you? How do you feel like you would address those kinds of concerns? I, frankly, those concerns are ahistorical. Okay. Um, if you look at um, the strategy of the right wing and by that i mean both people who are socially conservative and um people who are um really pushing for uh what we call free markets that aren't actually free but that's a whole nother discussion mm-hmm. um those groups have for the past half a century or so um very much mobilized and used religion and religious groups 
to get their work done. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been any separation between right-wing policy and religion mm-hmm. in that period of time. And if we are pushing back against the things that religion is being used to sell, uh-huh. we are pushing back against that right wing. But it's not because we are necessarily partisan, but simply because those are the kinds of things that the strong religious lobbies are working to do right now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, been religious ro- lobbies that have been behind anti-trans bathroom bills, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, if we're going to fight the unlawful application of religion in public life, mm-hmm. I mean, either we cede that issue to them or we take it up. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's a really good point that um, if if those two things have gone hand in hand for so long on one side, it's inevitable that on our side of things, secularism will fall more and more into line with trying to to address the harms that are being caused there. Um, now, that being said, um, a common criticism of secularism and atheism is that it tends to have issues both on uh, the gender inclusivity front and the racial inclusivity front. Um, do you feel like those things are changing or that they need to change more? Do you feel like we're having more success on one side than the other, perhaps? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. The the long yes, version. Yeah. Um, we have made a lot of process uh, progress on um, gender inclusivity within the movement. Um, by and large, by um, by working among the women in the movement who get things done, mm-hmm. because. We are still largely a volunteer movement. If you look at who volunteers, it is disproportionately women. Um, uh, if you go to, to local groups, it is disproportionately women who are not necessarily serving on boards and setting the direction of the groups, but just doing all the things that are needed to keep the groups functioning. So... By getting those folks together and the largely female staffs at a number of organizations, you know, talking to them, uh-huh. you know, women have ha- have really kind of told the movement that it is at your own peril that you ignore us. Some people are still going to do that. If they want to deal with the consequences of that, that's up to them. Um, but I think the, the stakes have become much more clear. It's in kind of sense. interesting. As you describe it that way, I'm thinking, man, this is exactly like the way I've understood churches to function as well. That like <laughs> they, they run on, on female, um, often volunteer power. Um, I, it, I have actually blogged Ellen Montgomery's short story, mm-hmm. The Strike at Putney, which is about a church uh-huh. strike when the women are not allowed to bring in a, a female missionary speaker because you can't have a woman in the pulpit. Um, it's it's one of my favorite stories. It's still mm-hmm. about church. Um, I personally, I tend funny. to think of it more in terms of unionization, but sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Social progress, not, not the location so much, but it, that does raise that, that sort of gets to the question that I was curious about here is like, 
you know, if one of the problems with atheist branding is that the front, the sort of outward face of it still feels very masculine to a lot of people because the four horsemen were all men and that like a lot of these sort of more prominent individuals tend have tended to be men. And does, does it mean then that we should like lean a little bit into not, not of, you know, not making them superstars, but like, you know, pointing more towards women in the movement who can be these sort of outward facing individuals as opposed to just not, not not to you know discount the community organizing stuff that you were describing that i think is really important but do we want to attempt some more larger scale rebranding as well i don't think we want to um single people out mm-hmm. it's it's not as though we have a shortage of talent uh with secular woman um and also uh minnesota atheists has been part of this um, we have run two secular women work conferences, which are uh, activist and organizer training, where all of the speakers, all the panelists, all the workshop presenters are female or genderqueer. Um, and part of the reason that we do that is because we want these people to have speaking credits. Mm-hmm. We want them to have speaking experience. Um, we want them to be able to uh, get feedback among people who they already know value what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've also done a track of workshops at Skepticon each year for the last five years. So, you know, we have this long list of people who have, uh, you know, given talks, given workshops, all that kind of thing. And I think we probably want to go for depth of talent as a movement Mm -hmm. um, rather than elevating one or two people because I mean everybody is weak on something Mm -hmm. if we want to you know get to a point where we are um, talking about maybe economic issues Mm -hmm. the people who do that are not necessarily the same people who are talking about the science of of race and sex Mm -hmm. you know so i think the more we spread this out rather than trying to make celebrities the stronger we are and the more continuity we have um when you described that that work that y'all have been doing um have you received substantial pushback in trying to diversify things in this way um the first one received a, a little bit of pushback, but it was mostly at that point um, from what I would consider the usual suspects, which is people who were already known for harassing feminists within the movement or being anti-feminist, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. People who had already done plenty of work to demonstrate their own biases on the topic. So, um, but the second one, you know, we had several organizations sponsor, several national organizations sponsor the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, American Atheists was there. Uh, Foundation Beyond Belief was there. Secular students were there. Uh, Black non-believers were there and joined us as an organizing sponsor. So they're now also part of this, uh, which reminds me that I haven't really been talking about race. Mm-hmm. There's lots of cover. It's fine. Yeah, there is. 
race, I think we are um, also making progress, but it is a different kind of progress. Um, it mm -hmm. is one of those things where we have more people of color uh, within the movement. And I don't know that there is any less pushback for talking about race or talking about issues that involve race, like uh, police, police brutality and, and police shootings and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't fall as much on a very small group of people anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to give a shout out to uh, both Mandisa Thomas and Sakivu Hutchinson because they have both been working very hard to introduce the movement to mm -hmm. new um, new speakers of, of color with something really to contribute to the, the movement. So they have been um, building that community with particularly with conferences and other events in a way that it doesn't fall on. It, it doesn't, the nonsense doesn't fall as heavily on, on one or two people's shoulders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that does seem like a, a valuable change to move away from that kind of, not, not deliberate tokening, but like on an unintentional um, overweighting of, certain individuals i really appreciate this because i before we started chatting i was going to mention um i've been like super down for the past little while like just the void's been getting to me and and like systems have just been beginning you know, like the flaws in you know even even in our political situation where it seems like maybe things are going to maybe change or something it's still been horrible but i feel like chatting to you about these sorts of things i'm i'm starting to crawl back out of that hole a little bit so you mentioned speaking of you mentioned the american atheists Yes. And as someone who's still trying to catch up on all the different groups and things, I'm I'm sort of vaguely aware of a, a situation with American atheism. I'm not sure how much you're able to talk about this, but maybe you can speak more generally about uh, if, if someone were from the outside to have fear or concern that cancel culture or Me Too run amok or something like that was one of the issues that was resulting from um, the social progress work that you've been describing uh, in in groups like American atheism, how would you address those kind of concerns? So first off, um, let me note that can cancel culture, uh, kind of came into mainstream consciousness mm -hmm. with Roseanne. Um, mm -hmm. once her, her show was rebooted and she said, I don't even remember which of the horrid things she said was the thing that got her actually removed from the show. Um, that was when people kind of came into a, a bigger consciousness of being canceled. Mm -hmm. um, since that point, uh, let's see, Kevin Spacey has actually gotten canceled, but that was for... Um, I believe straight up assault with a bunch of witnesses and Harvey Weinstein has been, I think, effectively canceled. And that took uh, two exposés on his behavior, one of the New York times and uh, the one 
Ronan Farrow did very shortly thereafter, um, and lawsuits and all sorts of other things. And no, that's really about it. <laughs> uh, it's a very strange thing to talk about cancel culture when next to no one has been canceled. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. And that isn't. I, I, I do, by the way. I, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I should say that isn't strictly true um, because there are uh, a number of um, particularly women and particularly women of color um, and mm. the occasional otherwise marginalized activists who I think you can effectively say have been canceled. But they're not people who are doing. They're not the people who people who are doing the complaining have ever heard of. Mm -hmm. So there is a discussion definitely to be had there about um, how hard we are on our activists and how we um, elevate people uh, in precarious situations who do you know, some kind of good work and then, um, and then they turn into milkshake duck, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I know that reference. <laughs> uh, there, there was a beautiful tweet, um, by someone who goes by the name of pixelated boat a few years ago and, uh, was talking about a very talented duck and the internet loves this talented duck. And oh, five minutes later, it turns out the duck is racist. Uh -huh. um, uh, milkshake drinking duck, I think was, you know. I understand. Uh, the internet loves this this duck who drinks milkshakes. Oops, racist. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I There's a conversation to be had there about how... Um, about who gets to screw up. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like some people but are, are let off the hook easier? But then there's the situation with American atheists, mm -hmm. which started with, um, and I am going to try to get this right, but I'm doing it from memory. So I may be making some mistakes here. Um, someone who, appointed his girlfriend to a position underneath him in an organization and um, used some sort of, of uh, organizational resources to get together with her at various events and who um, was apparently speaking at various groups but only if those groups would on their own dime go out and buy a case of his books the mm -hmm. proceeds of which were going to him not to american atheists which was paying for him to travel to speak to these groups mm -hmm. who um even in his own admittance slept with somebody about half his age who was applying for a job in his organization. Wow. Um, <laughs> Less than ideal. I, yeah. You know, even, even if you look at one of those things, those are firing offenses. 
And um, I guess the progress is he got fired at least. Yes. Yes, and, he did. And the part he that's got fired to me, after, right, is... <laughs> frankly, several years of various people knowing about some part of his behavior or another and trying to do their best to route around it and keep the organization functioning because its mission is actually important. Um, he got fired. And if that's cancel culture, then cancel culture takes about six years. Uh, it's a slow process, but it's, it's also infuriating and depressing. Um, because, I mean, the, the other thing is like the next step is it seems to be um, that person is then accepted by, you know, by open with open arms, right? By the conservative, you've been canceled culture that, um, you know, loves to hear this person then dunk on the left as being, you know, um, social justice warriors gone too far. So there's just this huge cottage industry. Um, it just, it just, it, I feel Maybe. like there's no way to make any progress, right? I just feel like we're just, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Actually look at how he's doing financially from that. It's not great. Okay. So, uh, either that might be petering out or just you have to, you know, they're getting pickier. You have to mm-hmm. have something they really want before they're going to pay you to sit around and, and whine about SJWs. I would love for that, that griff to have um, run its course. That would be, or at least, at least for the moment, like, you know, that it, I feel like it's the kind of thing that you can, you can see in the history that it comes in waves and like, we'll have another, you know, um, social justice warrior hysteria in another 20 years or something like that. But it would be nice to get a break from that for a bit. I haven't heard of Tom, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson for months besides the rehab stuff, right? He just had, there's just, there, it has, it does seem like in some sense the intellectual dark web has petered out, um, which is another, I guess, positive sign that I should make, should make me less depressed than I am. Well, you know, uh, you can do a lot more in a dark web. Um, then you can when somebody starts shining a spotlight on it. So fair, fair. Um, so one of the things I want to talk to you about, um, maybe, and actually I think relates to some of this, and and gives a sense of if we're moving forward and if we're not and whatnot. Um, you also talk and do work about um, sex and philosophy of sex and healthy sexuality. Um, and you did a particular piece that I saw on the orbit that related to a specific event. I think it was at an atheist event where there was an art display that involved some nudity. Do you want to maybe explain sure. to folks what that situation was and what your, what your hot take is on that one? So American atheists some years ago had a, uh, an art show at one of their conferences. And uh, one of the people who contributed was a male uh, artist who had, um, I think it was pencil or charcoal sketches and like a handful of paintings. And by coincidence, the pieces that he had to hang there um, were pencil or charcoal sketches of uh, famous atheists most of whom in his inventory by that time were male, um, mm-hmm. who were all fully dressed. You know, these are like if you'd been sitting for a portrait, but not in the Renaissance as somebody's mistress, because that was different. <laughs> okay, <laughs> was I very understand. Different Clo- clothed portrait. Uh-huh. Clothed portrait. Formal clothed portrait. Um, and three 
uh, brightly colored paintings involving nude women. Hmm. And there were a couple of issues with that. One was that um, people who walked into the art show did not know that they would be experiencing nudity in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, the Another was that um, by combining the pieces from two series, he set up a very gendered dichotomy um, mm-hmm. between the clothed people and the nude people. Um, and another was that those nudes had originally come out of a specifically feminist show where people were prompted to, um, to by the, the context of the show, to evaluate them in, mm-hmm. in specifically feminist ways. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case at American Atheists. Um, were they so, particularly objectifying in their design? Do you feel like they were um, that like you, you would you would want to have people's reaction to them be to understand sort of critically the the flaws with them, or is that what you're saying? I, I there were a couple of things that um, leaned that way. They, uh, I think, the artist had been working with professional models, which meant that they were relatively the women were. Um, relatively standardly attractive women, mm-hmm. um, whereas the atheists, they were not there because of how they looked. Um, mm-hmm. the, the poses were fairly brazen, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, within a feminist context might read as somebody claiming their power, but outside of that uh, tends to, tended to read as a, a woman putting her sexual assets forward. Mm-hmm. Were there any like was there text or anything on these or uh, like con- like any sort of information attached to them? Any sort of context at all? Um, not particularly. There, there was information available online from the the feminist show, but that, to mm-hmm. the best of my knowledge, that information wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a bit of an uproar. Mm-hmm. It was a situation where the person who was directing the art show for American Atheists knew the context that those paintings had come from, mm-hmm. um, didn't really see the dichotomy of um, the two sets of work in the same space, that kind of thing. Uh, so there was a, a good bit of uproar. Um, I don't know that American Atheists has done an art show since then, which... Um, I, that's a little bit sad, I think, but at the uh-huh, same yeah. time, I think it's probably wise because mm-hmm. art is is one of those things that is so informed by um, cultural context and personal experience and, and all that kind of thing. And art where you know atheists are going out of their way to challenge aspects of religion. Mm-hmm. It is already uh, very uh, emotionally laden, and you know the people who have reactions to that are likely to have strong reactions, and you can't guarantee that they're all going to be uh, remotely positive. So, um, I understand not wanting to be the person who tries to curate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the point that I made about the the paintings as well. Is that 
you know, this, this stuff is hard. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it is really hard to use nudity and out of all of the meanings that we have assigned to it from our various backgrounds, from a history of nude art, from pornography, from all of that, it is very, very hard to use that nudity and have it come across the way that you intend. Um, Really great point. Yeah. So my, basically my, my point in the essay was that, you know, if you're going for naked and you fail to carry your message, all that's left is the nakedness and without context to people that becomes objectification Mm -hmm. and None of us want that. Yeah, well, I think that's hopefully really... none of us, none of us who are discussing that seriously in that incident, want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and and I can understand. How, you can imagine how that sort of thing could come together by you know well-meaning, but not sort of thinking about the the biggest picture individuals, and then it turns into this thing that for some people cause it's, it's, it, this is what i see over and over again online is that like stories like this get twisted into you know liberals couldn't handle xyz and so this piece of art or something got canceled um where it's it's more often that like there's complexity here and like people are trying to address the complexity and at the same time trying to um you know not engage in exploitative behavior um and those shifts alone i think often make enough for people who are looking for an axe to grind yeah that makes sense yeah let me let me switch gears one more one more time here before we run out of time. Since you do talk about sexuality stuff uh, broadly speaking, um, something that comes up a lot in the various communities that I run in, which are often secular and atheist communities, and that I think is sort of a growing topic in maybe younger generations in particular. I'm not sure is the the topic of polyamory. Um, I'm curious if you feel like that is a substantial thing within the secular community or something you've become more aware of within these kinds of groups? And do you have a feeling about how the community should approach these kinds of issues? I think uh, much like uh, the LGBT community, the um, non-monogamy community is definitely overrepresented um, Mm -hmm. among within the the secular movement. And I think a lot of that is for exactly the same reason. Um, Mm -hmm. People for whom um, monogamy isn't working or people who find that um, non-monogamy gives them something important suddenly have a reason to challenge and rethink the sexual mores of their religion. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a starting place for doubt, and depending on how important that is to them, it can be a, a there can be a, quite a bit of pressure to really rethink that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me at all that it seems to be a big thing. Um, in terms of what we can do about it, it's hard to say. In part because the the communities built around ethical non-monogamy themselves are questioning some of their assumptions now. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the people who wrote, co-wrote one of the major books, uh, ethical non-monogamy more than two 
has recently had a bunch of his exes talk about how they were, um, I, I will say, ill-used within mm-hmm. those relationships or mm-hmm. came to find themselves feeling that way. A lot of, as the uh, non-white portion of um, the non-monogamous community grows, as the um, genderqueer and trans parts of that community grows, that community is finding in itself that it, there are a lot of things that maybe it hadn't really dug deep enough to to think about in a really intentional way. Mm-hmm. In terms of dealing with us as a, a movement, the secular movement, I, I like the trend that we have had toward hosting some of these discussions, mm-hmm. in part because this is a big part of our constituency uh, compared to the rest of the world. I have no idea what the actual numbers on non-monogamy are. Uh, well, I have no idea what the numbers on non-monogamy that is not cheating are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've studied cheating. We haven't done a lot to study this yet. Um, my, my ballpark back napkin ap- estimate is like 120% of the people listening to this show. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I identify as polyamorous, even though I'm currently in a uh, happily in a monogamous relationship. I, uh, am, have had polyamorous relationships in the past and I'm very sympathetic to, um, that movement, but at the same time also have concerns. I think, you know, like we all do about people we care about, that we have concerns that like maybe we get overly permissive or performative about it sometimes or, um, you know, because of the understandable value we place on sort of exploration and pushing envelopes that that can sometimes uh, become problematic. And I think especially when it blends with the desire to get back at, um, you know, a lot of religious oppression, for example, uh, I feel like I get, I get, you know, I, I want us to be thinking about what we're doing and being intentional, like you said about it. So right. I think that's a good point. And one of the things that I definitely think we need to address within the atheist movement is um, that kind of uh, naive sex positivity that is a reaction to religion. Um, Mm -hmm. So if religion says it's bad, it must be good. Uh, Mm Because that's definitely not the case. And that, that whole selling polyamory as somehow advanced... Um, I mean, it might be advanced schedule management, but, <laughs> but you know, people sell it as like, ethically advanced, that kind of thing. And that, I don't think we can do that because, frankly, I think that, um, I guess technically I fall under a weird sort of, um, no, I wouldn't even go there. Uh, but I, I feel like, the kind of relationship that suits all of the people in it mm-hmm. that you know that supports them that helps them grow um, that uh, works to keep them from feeling trapped within their situation there all that kind of stuff that's what's ethical and it mm-hmm. the number of people is a variable and it changes how many things you have to think about uh but it doesn't that doesn't have anything to do with whether it is inherently ethical or not 
Yeah, no, I think that's very well put. I was cracking up because um, my wife Lou's number one question all is all is always how do they find the time? Like it's not a judgment. <laughs> it's it's just and you know she just that that's her particular preferences and her activities. Um, and I I find that super amusing. Um, so yeah, I think you're totally right that uh, it's it's there's no easy equation here for for producing an ethical relationship. It's a lot of um, complexity and figuring out what works for people, but also being open-eyed and making sure that um, no one is being sort of pressured into anything. Um, I, I personally uh, am aware that during some of my polyamorous relationships, I felt like I was um, overly pressuring in in what things were engaged in, and while it didn't violate consent, it I, I do think that. I went I absolutely went through that kind of what you were describing that naive kind of sex positive phase a little bit. Um so yeah, I really appreciate you uh talking about that. So um before we run out of time here, um do you have any final sort of thoughts about like for folks who are interested in the atheist community and the secular community like um what can they be doing that's small and easy for them to get involved? Uh, or, or what, what do you feel like you want them to understand so they slightly change their perspective on these kinds of communities? I think that I, I want to take a moment to kind of push back against that thing that always happens when we have these kinds of discussions, which is the people who say, you know, what atheist community? I'm an atheist. I'm not part of a community. I'm just sitting here online with all of you other atheists discussing this. And you know what? We start doing that. We start just talking to each other. And we start talking to each other about the fact that we're atheists. And we don't all immediately scatter to the winds and never talk to each other again. We're building community. So. I think some of the focus on um, organizations has obscured that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we will, as we move things back towards the grassroots a little bit, um, we'll understand that better. But, you know, if you have somebody who's talking to you as an atheist and brings up atheist community you're in one right then and there and how it happens and how it runs is partly up to you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're finding yourself disinclined to call that community, maybe think about what you think it's asking of you because that'll tell you a little bit more about what you think actually needs to happen for healthy communities. And you know, if if you want to start your your all dudes meet up for bowling and beer because that is as much community as you can handle, feel free. Go, you know, do that. Um, but other people want more. Other people are building more. Other people are working really hard to make things comfortable for you as you check this stuff out. So, you know, mm -hmm. you're soaking in it. Get over it. <laughs> 
Oh, Stephanie, I so much appreciate this conversation. I can absolutely understand why people wanted us to chat. Um, there have been several times here where I've just felt like your answers have just been um, so pitch perfect. So I really do appreciate it and feel bad that I have to now put you through the lightning round um, that we use to wrap up our show because you've been so wonderful. Um, so... This activity, uh, which mostly I use primarily to torture like professional philosophers, but I really enjoy getting everyone involved because I do think that everyone is a philosopher on some level. Um, and I think it's interesting to get uh, responses from lots of different perspectives. So the way this game works is I've got a list of things here. I'm going to ask you to tell me if they are either real or not real. Those are your two options. Okay, uh, you don't get to define what real means, so you can um, make up whatever you meant later. But it's a, <laughs> it's a game of association. Let's put it that way. All um, right. Are you ready? No, but go ahead. Okay, good. So you do, your readiness is not real. So we've yes. checked the first one off the list here. Um, is the external world real? Yes. Okay. Colors. Yes. Okay. Phenomenal consciousness. Sure. It's your experiences <laughs> of things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, qualia, which are the direct things that you experience. No. No. Okay. Great. Um, free will. You're going to make me answer as anybody but somebody with a psychology degree. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, selves. Yes. Okay. So no free will but selves. Uh, personal identity. Yes. Okay. Gender. Yes. Race. Yes. Species. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to the real, uh, real category. Morality. Yes. Okay. Good answer. Uh, rights. Yes. A priori knowledge. Yes. A posteriori knowledge. <laughs> yes. Okay. Propositional attitudes. Don't mind me. I'm just resisting making a joke. Oh, it's okay. uh, yes. Was it a, were you going to proposition me? Was that the joke? <laughs> no. Okay. That's an appropriate thing. I was going to talk about the attitudes of certain people. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, ideas. Yes. Modalities. Yes. <laughs> All right. David Lewis fan. I love it. Uh, gods. This one's an easy no. one, right? Okay, good. That would have been a shocker if you'd gone the other way on that one. Uh, society. Yes. Numbers. Yes. Abstract entities. Yes. Fictional characters. No. Okay. Uh, that one really, we really felt that one, huh? Yes, I really did. Um, holes. Sorry, say that again. Holes, like uh, a hole in something? Yes. Okay. Chairs? Yes. Sandwiches? Yes. Science? Yes. 
Natural laws. No. Okay. And last but not least, beauty. Yes. Well done. You survived. How do you feel? <laughs> I, I feel a deep need to explain myself, but I won't. <laughs> that is how I want everyone to be left feeling at the end of um, being on this show. So I appreciate you putting that into words. That's <laughs> wonderful. Um, and I wanted to mention, the, the since you brought up the fictional characters thing, uh, I did come across your science fiction writing, um, which we didn't get a chance to talk about here. Um, but I think we definitely need to get you on Philosophers in Space at some point to discuss uh, short stories. Um, but in the meantime, Stephanie, can you let folks know where they can find you? Sure. Um, the best way to find all of my stuff is to go to my personal page, which is stephanie.zavan.net. Making that so you have to know how to spell my name to get there was maybe not my brightest decision. But <laughs> we'll put um, it in the show notes. I write mostly at uh, the orbit, at Almost Diamonds. I do um, put some stuff out on Patreon before it goes anywhere else, mostly longer pieces. Um, I'm on Twitter as S-Z-V-A-N. You won't be able to spell that either, um, but you can look me up under my name. Okay, great. Thank you so very much. And I look forward to meeting you in person at some point at one of these many interesting atheist events. Um, and we'll get you back on at some point to, and we'll get you on Philosophers in Space at some point soon. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much to all our listeners and especially our patrons for making all of this possible. Thank you to our 20 tier patrons Jude Law's Canadian accent and existence makes my pussy throb. Good morning, Camp Quest. Jonathan Steele is a great dad fund, and Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And thank you, as always, to our $40 top tier, clearly supports us deeply, Dave Maslich. You all are heroes. We really couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to support the show, uh, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on uh, whatever podcast app you use. Please follow us on Twitter at ETVPod and support us financially if you can at patreon.com slash embrace the void. We really couldn't do this without you because remember, you are the void and the void is you. My guest this week is Stephanie Zvan. Wait, okay, actually, I should stop. <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> it is How do you Zvan. pronounce your last name? Zvan. Okay. Yep. It's a great in-joke for our audience. Uh, you can put that in the uh, bloopers there, Brian. Um, I can't pronounce anyone's name. So, Zvan. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody can pronounce my name. It's. It, I mean, here's the thing. You're going to tell me how to pronounce it, and then I'm going to get it wrong again anyway. Um, so <laughs> it's, yes, it it's is a fun van. game. All right, here we go. <laughs>